Welcome to the Christian Emergency Podcast, a podcast for Christians spooked by the growing hostility in the culture today. We will tackle a range of topics from current events, persecution, missions, and what it means to be the church. You will gain valuable insights from those experienced working with persecuted Christians around the world, insights we all need to chew on in these strange days. Together, may we help the church stand. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Christian Emergency Podcast. I'm Andy Coleman, your host, and today we are going to really examine one of the core features of the Christian Emergency Alliance. If you've been listening to this podcast for any period of time, you know that we are trying to help the church stand. We take a strong look at missions and seeing the gospel advanced and proclaimed among the peoples. Uh, We're very invested in helping the persecuted church and also just making sure that the church around the world is aware of some of these issues that affects it, that, that affects its health, that affects its strength and its capacity to advance the banner of Christ. One of the topics that can get glossed over is how does a church, how does a pastor, how does a missions committee come around, really learn about missions and prepare itself uh, for this field that some of us don't get a lot of education in as we're younger Christians, we're coming up but we're trying to prepare one another and we're trying to get wise on missions and also coming behind healthy missions developments. So one of the tools that churches have used for many years and that pastors have relied on and these, these committees is a course called the perspectives on the world Christian movements. And it has a lot of content in it. It's a, a course. Um, it claims over 250,000 alumni have gone through the program And it comes complete with a reader, and it covers 15 different topics that tries to approach missions from a variety of different perspectives, Um, and that's why it gets its name Perspectives. But we also want to be wise and discerning in what we do. So there's great content in it, but there may be some things that pastors, that these missions committees, that Christian leaders should think about, reflect about, pray about and consider as they're preparing their flocks and they're preparing their flocks to go and send folks overseas and into cross-cultural environments. We are joined today by Pastor Josh Manley, and he has been around the missions block a time or two. He is a senior pastor at a church in the United Arab Emirates right there in the square heart of the Middle East. Uh, The name of the church is the Ras Al-Khamein Church. Is, did I get that right, or did I totally butcher that name? It's close. Okay. Black evangelical is probably easiest. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Uh, Josh has um, shared some thoughts about this before, and I wanted to just have a conversation with him about this so that we could all learn from it together. But uh, Josh, thank you so much for taking some time to join us today. Well, it's a privilege to join you. Thankful for your efforts and the work you're doing through this podcast. Well, thank you, sir. We'll keep after it. Um, To set the stage for everybody, would you be able to tell us a little bit about yourself, how you ended up in the UAE, and what uh, your ministry looks like? Yeah, Josh Manley. I'm married to Jenny. We have five children. Uh, We've been in the United Arab Emirates for almost 10 years. Before that, my wife and I actually met and worked on Capitol Hill in the U.S. Senate. Thought that would be our careers. The Lord used a faithful church to redirect our paths. So we left the Senate. We 
headed for seminary and, and God's providence. Um, he opened door for us to go to Ras al-Khaima, United Arab Emirates. The ruling sheikh there gave land for an evangelical church a little over 10 years ago. This was as out of the blue for me, uh, the opportunity, but it was clearly providential. We were a, we've been able to build a building and establish visible, uh, legal, and legitimate ministry there, and the Lord has been very faithful to us. Man, that that's amazing, and I can only imagine the prayers that went into that, that were answered by that work, and how exciting. So uh, just another reminder for our listeners that you can be praying about initiatives like this, and there are exciting opportunities and surprising lands around the world. So keep your eyes open to opportunities like this, the ways that you can support groups like this church. So that's just fascinating, the way that God is moving. Speaking of God moving, before we dive into all this about preparing missionaries or missions trips or those that are learning more about missions, would you just take a minute or two to unpack for us a little bit of what you're seeing God doing in the Middle East, in that area of the world right now, when it comes to the church? Well, the Lord is certainly building his church. I think what's been uh, most striking to me is that the Lord is, it, I think often that the Lord does is he does his work slowly, according to our own perspective, and it's often outside of view. So the Lord is, uh, I've seen the Lord building his church in Egypt, in Afghanistan, Nepal, I've seen good work in Pakistan and India. And and yet it, I think that the good and healthy work is often outside of you. It's slow, it's under the radar, uh, but it's brothers uh, who are preaching, who are faithfully proclaiming the gospel slow and steady work and churches that are being built with health and, and disciples that are really being made and sinners really being converted mm-hmm. in the UAE in particular, the Lord has been faithful now for some decades, uh, probably 60 years ago or so there were Christian missionaries who went there before the UAE was known for its oil before it had found oil. They faithfully set up a mission hospital and delivered babies in Alain, which is in the Southern part of the United Arab Emirates that made a tremendous impact on the rulers there. That opened the door for the first church building to be established in the United Arab Emirates. And now that's opened the door for work all the way leading up to mine because Christians went there and were faithful. So in the United Arab Emirates uh, in particular, we know uh, some gracious toleration. Mm. I would not equate that to Western toleration. Yeah. But we are allowed to be there. Uh, the government has been kind to us. Um and there is a, I would just say, at least there is a, a benevolence about the governor, about our sheikh, yeah. the government and our sheikh, uh, that does understand you should be able to practice your religion. Yeah. That's opened the door for great gospel witness, evangelism, seeing people from around the world who come to, United, to the United Arab Emirates to yeah. come to faith in Jesus. Yeah, because the Emirates is a hub. There's people flying in from all over to that area, all kinds of cross traffic and people groups that you wouldn't be able to access uh, in most other areas. So it's an exciting opportunity. It's an exciting work that you're a part of, and I'm grateful that you're faithfully carrying it out with your family and others there, and we pray that you would relay our greetings to them. We will return to the podcast momentarily, but first, a word from our sponsor. Being a Christian today can be hard. This is true if you live in a heavily persecuted country like Iran or areas where cultural pressures against Christians are growing fast, like America and Europe. Fortunately, none of us have to stand alone. We are part of a giant body, one huge spiritual family that spans the globe. That is the church. 
The Christian Emergency Alliance is committed to helping the church stand, regardless of the pressures to come. As a 501c3 nonprofit, the Christian Emergency Alliance strives to help our spiritual family when persecution hits. We also strengthen the church by supporting ministry that makes Christ famous, defends biblical truth, and prepares fellow believers for challenges ahead. You have the opportunity to make a huge impact in this work today. Become a monthly financial ally of the Christian Emergency Alliance by signing up at christianemergency.com. Your support of $25 a month or a gift in any amount will bless those who need help in these darkening days. Help the church stand today, tomorrow, and in the days to come. Register today at www.christianemergency.com. And now, back to the show. Well, let's take a minute and let's now direct our focus onto the topic at issue. And so last summer, I saw that uh, you had made a, a social media post that, that intrigued me, that caught my attention. You started with this warning. Pastors, be careful about using the perspectives course for missions training in your church. Church planting methodology is harmful. And in that you referenced uh, one of the articles that was in the reader of the perspectives course. It was by David Garrison. Would you just unpack that a little bit? Why, why do you have concerns about this methodology? Well, let me just, I want to first say, I understand and know that there are quite a number of people who have participated in and even taught perspectives courses who love the Lord. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. I don't want to come across as the person that's on this anti-perspectives screed, but I, I do have concerns about it. And I, and I would say that from the perspective of being overseas and kind of seeing the fruit of it. And what I was referencing in particular uh, was David Garrison's chapter on church planning movements. Yeah, This is a significant issue in missions. It, it sounds good. Who doesn't want church planning movement amongst uh, a people? We, we all want that. But CPM is the, the acronym for church planning movements, is a, a, is a methodology uh, that I would argue is man-centered, that has a low view of the church, that marginalizes proclamation of the gospel, preaching, and I would argue the maturation and the growth of disciples mm -hmm. in, in the way that it, it, it understands church and rapid multiplication of churches. So there can be a real focus on things happening fast. Yeah. Uh, and that can become a value that I don't understand to be reflected in the New Testament. Certainly yeah. the Lord can move in, in speed. The Lord can do anything. But often the Lord does his work slowly. And we don't need to underestimate the importance of being faithful and steady over time. I'm reminded when Paul says in 2 Timothy 4 to Timothy, that verse that most Christians and hopefully every missionary knows, preach the word, he includes with patience. Mm -hmm. so patience is important in our in our work. But I, I raised that, that article because I do think CPM has done a lot of harm. I think that it has uh, undermined the gospel, and I think it yeah. undermines the centrality and health of the church as uh, central to missions. Okay. And church planting movements, I mean, you hear that and you get excited. It sounds really appealing and you can see the draw, but there are some concerns about the methods that it uses and that it can be harmful. Is the harm in the level of discipleship that the people receive? Is it the, the focus on just replicating, replicating, replicating rather than disciple? Or is it also a muddled gospel expression and maybe even a, a less than accurate 
description of the people involved as churches, as disciples? Or is it all of it? Is it a bag? Well, I think it would depend on maybe who you're talking to, because church planning movement and definitions there can be wide. I think one of my biggest concerns, I would want to pin someone down that I was talking to, is what is a church? It's very first order. It's very fundamental. What is a church? And when you kind of go through some of these articles in the reader, it's a very minimal definition. In fact, I remember one of the quotes was that this definition of a church might get a D minus where you studied theology. But the more you add to it, the harder it will be for churches you start to reproduce. I simply want to say, what is the Bible saying is the church? So if we, if we don't get the church right in her essence, then in her practice, she's going to be off and Christians will be affected. The second concern I would have for church planning movements, at their worst, I think it's a low view of conversion. So if we can get someone to obey some principles or if we can get someone to, to, to do certain things, if we're not careful, we might call them a Christian. And so we would confuse someone moving from death, spiritual death to spiritual life uh, with someone doing certain things because of our desire for speed and, and rapidity, calling them a Christian. So I'd, I'd be concerned with those first two things uh, immediately. And I, I think this is why this is important, because a lot of this you would never know. Um, if you're just in church, if you haven't spent much time on the missions field, this is probably a conversation that would surprise you. You're just not familiar that some of these methodologies are going on. I know personally that um, there have been a couple times where I've been invited to attend a little church, what's been described as a church, and none of the people there were believers. Maybe some of them were curious. Maybe they would talk about a Bible story and they liked the conversation. But I recall, I recall in one of these sessions, some of it went contrary to the, the Quran, and some of the people there got really upset. But this was the church that uh, I was going to, to visit. I'm reminded that we need to be thoughtful of our definitions. What does this actually mean? What does the Bible say a church is? What does the Bible say that a follower of Christ, a disciple is? One of the terms that you used was that you can, you're concerned that this is a man-made methodology, that it's not really extracted from the pages of Scripture, but that it might be more oriented towards practical strategies that might promote swift growth. I'm reminded of also just how in the last two years, this is something that might be a, a good anchor point for pastors or for anybody that's listening that's mostly in a Western context. You've probably seen a lot of things starting to crop up in churches and around churches that churches are starting to promote that also, I would argue, come out of a more man-centered philosophy. Do you sense, Josh, when you're thinking about uh, church planning movements and this emphasis that they have, is that the same thing? Are we talking about something that's rising up, cropping up out of a, out of a, a secular ethos, out of a, a postmodern ethos? Where do the roots from this movement really come from, or am I off? No, I think you're hitting on something really important there. As you were saying that, it made me think of an important book that maybe some of your listeners would be interested in reading called Revival and Revivalism. And this is an important book because it helps us think through. We all want to see revival, and the Lord has certainly brought about revival in history. But revivalism is man-centered. It's, it's trying to reverse engineer, engineer from methods of man what only God can do through God-ordained means. Mm. And I, I'm responding in that way because I think that what 
this gets at the heart of is I do think in missions we can undermine the sufficiency of Scripture. We can think that the methods that we come up with, the strategies that we come up with, those that there's a there's a human wisdom to those elements and it undermines the sufficiency of scripture is wisdom and so i i think you're right if, if in our churches in, in our in the united states if we don't believe in the sufficiency of scripture god's means to accomplish god's ends well then i would expect that in missions that we're going to export man-made man-centered strategies as well that reflect the ethos and the spirit of our age rather than the timeless wisdom of scripture does that get at what you're asking yeah, and I think we can also see that when it's when it matures, when these types of teachings mature, the fruit starts to look off, and you can recognize that something is off. Well, in your social media post after that, you go on to say in Habakkuk one five, which the article led with that you referenced, it led with Habakkuk one five. It quoted it, which uh, for our listeners, it's look to the nations, watch and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. You wrote that that reference is not about revival, but God's coming judgment on his own people through the wicked Babylonians. And yet the article led with that for a very different purpose. Can you speak to that? And can you also articulate why recognizing that is important? Well, it's certainly how we treat Scripture um, and understand and interpret Scripture. It is exciting, isn't it, to hear from a missionary that God is doing a work where that missionary is laboring, that maybe that church or those people would never believe. And sometimes, unfortunately, missionaries feel the pressure to be able to report that. So I, and then, so to take that, that verse, which is Habakkuk is not about God bringing salvation or revival, but about judgment through the wicked Babylonians, to take that verse and then to use it as kind of a prep for what God is doing in another part of the world or through these church planning movements is, is dishonest. And it's bad treatment of Scripture. So I would have concern about using a text like that or even other texts, you know, in a way that would support what I would understand to be a missions practice that is not faithful to Scripture. And really is contrary to a lot of the the main point and context of the Scripture itself being referenced. You also made this point. You said, remember, the Apostle Paul's letters were to missionary church plants. He never pitted doctrinal instruction against gospel advance. Don't make enemies what the Bible calls friends. I liked how you phrased that, but would you also be able to speak to that a little bit, too? Yeah, I, I would want people to think, it, because I do see this at times in the missions world, that we have these letters in the New Testament. People forget these are just young church plants that have been newly new converts and they're having all the struggles of that new converts might have. I mean, the Corinthian church, people are getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. Uh, you've got doctrinal issues. So all this messiness. And Paul writes robustly theological letters hmm. to these young churches. First Timothy 3, 14 and 15, he tells Timothy, this is the church in Ephesus. The church is the pillar and the buttress of truth in the world. And he is concerned not just for her doctrine, but her life. And uh, I just would want people to remember that as we think about planting new churches in different parts of the world. The New Testament is sufficient for this. This is how the church emerged. Church plants, new converts, and yet doctrine and life, doctrine and life, all were important uh, in those churches. And this should be familiar ground for these pastors and missions committees. They should recognize 
that man, this theology does speak to this. It would speak how do we church plant ourselves if we were, you know, going into a neighboring community. And it's not suspended. Those principles aren't suspended when it's on the other side of the world. These are still healthy theological principles that relate to the missions community. So I also want to encourage our church leadership, our Christians around the world who are listening to this, that these same principles can be utilized even in cross-cultural missions. And you do have maybe more of a stronger footing to speak into these situations than, than you might think. That's a good word for pastors. What you're modeling in your own ministry, your pulpit ministry, and in your pastoral ministry will have a massive influence, not just on your church, but future missionaries that the Lord may raise up. Yeah, they see you trusting the scriptures. They see you shepherding the flock of God. That's going to have an influence on the way they think about their own ministry practice. That's right. That's excellent. You continued in your post and you wrote... Perspectives also presents an unbiblical view of conversion and discipleship. Some of the authors argue for a Christianity that is far from our Lord's command to take up your cross and follow me. This discourages Christians who've lost home and family for following Jesus. I do think that you're uniquely equipped uh, from your perspective based off where you serve and your familiarity with the church in tough places. Could you speak to this aspect of church planning movement methodology as well? I've actually... Disclaimer, taught perspectives. Uh, I've tried to be a faithful influence when I've taught the course uh, with the material that I was uh, entrusted with. And there have been two times in perspective classes, I won't say where, where one, the, one of the big topics that night was, do Christians and Muslims follow the same God? And remarkably in God's providence, a mutual friend of ours, yours and mine, was with me mm-hmm. and uh, who's been to prison for the faith, thought he would die for the faith. And he had to rebut some in the course and say categorically, no, we don't follow the same God. And Muslims know that we don't follow the same God. Uh, In another course, there was an argument that um, people could come to faith if they'd not ever heard of Jesus. God would just save them. Inclusivism, classic inclusivism. But my concern is that there are articles, one, does a Christian have to leave Islam to follow Jesus? That muddies the water. Yeah. That would allow a Christian to hide their identity for following Jesus. And I just don't see that on the pages of the New Testament. Nor have I seen that in faithful brothers and sisters, one that I'm aware of this week, who has been in, was detained by authorities in his country and was faithful to the gospel, yeah. no matter the cost. And I don't want anyone to go overseas, and especially you're, you're communicating to a Western context, to feel some guilt that because they've not been to prison, they don't hold forth the full counsel of, of God and the call of Jesus to take up your cross, deny yourself. We're all called to die. It's going to look different for, for different ones of us, but we're all called to take up our cross. And we don't need to be ashamed to hold out or to think that we're wiser than Jesus in that way. Yeah. And I think that you're right. I think with the best of intentions, there's an effort to reduce the barriers uh, to some of this, to reduce the pressures that somebody might feel in some of these countries. They're trying to make it a little bit easier to do so and to stay in community with those that are around them by shielding or ducking their identity with Christ. So there is that, but it does lead to weird places. And I like what you pointed out is that we're talking about the Muslim majority world right here, but this can apply in Buddhist context. This can apply in Hindu context, other places around the world. But we're talking here about Muslims know the difference. They pick up on it. And there is also a very real risk in in my experience in this type of a methodology of somebody who is feeling even drawn to Christ, somebody who, who wants to convert to Christ, but maybe gets jammed up in this sense 
and they're left in a way in no man's land. The Muslims know that something is off about them and that they're not following the Islamic faith, but they're not really following the Christian faith so that the Christians may not know what to do with them. And here, this leaves people ungrounded and often isolated, and they're not even sure where they fall. So I've, I've seen really uh, unfortunate situations like that. Has that ever crossed your radar screen? Well, I've certainly seen that, that kind of pressure mm-hmm. to say you don't have to leave family. You don't have to make yourself known in your community. I mean, I would be in my own ministry. Uh, I have a category very much so for the underground church. And praise God for the church where she's faithful in the world. But I do understand that you've got to make clear now that you're in Christ, that the old is gone, the new has come. Um, and I, I would just say from a Christian standpoint, if you're calling someone out of whatever religion, you're right, Hinduism, Buddhism, there's articles and perspectives on Hinduism that concern that if you're calling someone out of that, they need a new family. Mm-hmm. And God has provided that in the church. They leave their own household. We should welcome them into the household of God. We've, we've had someone in our own body mm-hmm. that lost their, their earthly family. Yeah. So yeah. praise God they have a new family in Christ yeah. to be part of. And I don't want to deny them the grace of that and the, and the, the, the privilege of that as a Christian. Well, and I, I appreciate all the perspective that you have shared. And um, in full transparency, I have gone through an executive level course for perspectives, and I was blessed by it. There's a lot of great content in it. And that's why I appreciate the heart that I'm hearing from you is this almost a pastoral concern about this piece of the Perspectives course. And, and just a, a caution to other pastors and others who are looking at this as a, as a tool. It's a great tool, but we need to be wary of this element of it. And I would encourage the, the Perspectives team to maybe reevaluate, but I, I think it's very healthy to, to reflect, to pause, reflect, and think, how does this play out theologically? Is this good, right, and true? In fairness to perspectives, I'm grateful for many, many things that they're doing and the, the people that have sacrificially invested their time and energy to teach others about missions and the amazing adventure it is to go out and be faithful to Christ in different lands. It really is wonderful. Is there anything that you would add to that, Josh? I want to echo what what you've said. John Piper's an author in the perspective of John Stott. These are men that are heroes to me. Uh, Their books, their teaching have affected me deeply. Uh, There's others I could name for whom I'm so grateful. There is just interspersed in perspectives, some perspectives that I would caution pastors against because it can be subtle but it can also lead your people in bad directions yep. uh, from authors and teachers that I don't believe are good for the church. And I think this speaks to our need for discernment generally. I think the enemy wants us to fight. I think the enemy wants Christians to to strafe one another and just paint with broad brushes, whereas we really need to be able to discern and identify problems, but with a scalpel, try to address those problems. I wouldn't write off organizations just because there was a couple little elements in it that weren't perfect. We're going to have debates and disagreements, and that's fine, but we need to do this in a discerning manner. We just don't tear down brick and mortar. We don't tear down one another. That's really what we're trying to, to tease out here, is that there may be some concerning elements in this that can be improved upon, could be reconsidered, but there's also a lot of great content. But with that in mind, Josh, are there some other, if I'm a pastor and I'm listening to this, I'm like, wow, I thought Perspectives was just like my default go-to. 
if I needed to, to mobilize some folks, I'm going to that. Are there some other resources? Are there some other materials that would be helpful to them as they're trying to wisely prepare people for a new realm of ministry, for a new step in their, in their life? Well, I want to say the, the very first place I want to start is a, a healthy local church. Of course, you're, we're, we're talking to pastors now, and they're looking for resources. I do think that Radius is a missions organization that is doing excellent work, mm. not just training up future missionaries, but also pumping out material mm. uh, that could be use, useful. So Radius, I think it's Radius.org is their okay. website, but you can Google Radius, R-A-D-I-U-S. I was just actually with some overseas workers, and we were thinking about writing up, working up a new perspectives course, actually just trying to put some sound material out that we think could be useful in Sunday school classes that could just be done in the church, under the care of the church, good curriculum that could answer people's questions. I think one reason missions seem so far away, and sometimes people think, well, I don't want to do it. Thankful someone else does, as opposed to trying to use discernment and understanding what makes a good missionary some resources like that. Uh, Capitol Hill Baptist Church has a good course on missions that they make available on their website. I actually think that the IMB has a, a good training, some great training material that they make available as well, even though I've not always agreed with everything that they've done and have been committed to mm-hmm. uh, in their missions practice. Uh, but yeah, that, that to me is some good places to start. Well, we will add those. We'll go and find them. We'll put them in the show notes for anybody that's curious so that you have some some vectors there to go off of. But Josh, I really just appreciate you taking time to to share about this. It, it's an important topic. It doesn't get a lot of airtime and there's not a lot of familiarity. And we're trying to do a little a little bit to correct that. But if if we had some listeners that wanted to find out more about the ministry you're involved with or, or track you, is there any way that they can do that? Certainly feel free to email me, josh at rackchurch, R-A-K-church.com. And I'm on Twitter, Josh P. Manley, J-O-S-H-P-M-A-N-L-E-Y. Would love to connect with any of your listeners. If I can serve them in any way, it'd be my joy. And if they disagree, I'm happy for them to tell me that. And we can have a conversation uh, as, as I have time, Lord willing. Okay. All right. Well, Josh, thank you very much for your time. We deeply appreciate it. And thank you for all you're doing for the kingdom. And be grateful for you and your ministry as well. Thank you. All right. Bless you. Thank you for joining us today for the Christian Emergency Podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends about us and ask them to subscribe as well. To learn more about the Christian Emergency Alliance or financially invest in our ministry, visit us at www.christianemergency.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you again for listening and stand strong out there.